Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. I kind of like to think that maybe in our own little kind of way we might be contributing to a conversation this afternoon. We're going to be speaking to Nick McIntosh, and he is the Assistant National Secretary. Wait for it. Mm -hmm. He's in Sussex Street. Does that mean anything to you? does, because I've spent a bit of time in Sydney. Sussex Street. Um, So he's from the TWU, so that would be the New South Wales chapter of the TWU, Transport Workers Union. Thank you, Matt, keeping me on my toes. Um, And uh, here is the news. You might have heard that the union has agreed to work with Menulog. Yes. Regarding a trial of an employment model that will reclassify riders and guarantee them minimum hourly payments and... Underlined, yes, in italics, rights, which is hopefully the start of a very good and I think we all agree sorely needed thing. Well, yeah, we'll see. Is this um, is this a pendulum swing that we are witnessing? Um, We've spoken a, f- a few times on the show about you know the delivery riders, gig economy, mm-hmm. etc., and clearly there's a desire and a need out there because of how popular those services are. But of course, it really shouldn't be at the expense of. The rights of the people bringing you your burger. So um, and 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 yes, and with that, um, the uh, the whole notion of uh, um, well, the gig economy. Yes, and uh, the fact of uh, independent contractors. Yes, and uh, I'm going to quote uh, the very very incredible Bernard Keane from Crikey. Yes, uh, the myth that workers are just rugged individualists who want nothing more than to be their own boss and ride round feeling the bracing winds of capitalism through their hair. I don't know how much you're paying that guy, but you need to increase his salary. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Anyway, so we're going to. Um, I don't know. We're going to highlight it in a 15-minute segment. And, yeah, and we'll know. see what the TWU have to say. Um, but yeah, it could be, the, hopefully, could be the start of a very important conversation and hopefully some improvements in that industry. And We'll um, see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we will see. Um, and uh, that's going to be a little bit heavy. So what do we need to do after that? Got to go to market. Got to go to market. Got to talk to John. And uh, I've been naughty. It's a bit of a long it really market is, report. isn't it? You were very chatty this morning well, when you recorded it. I'll, I'll just let it speak for itself. But okay. I, I did get him on a, a bit of a tangent at the beginning. So look out for the tangent and see if you pick it. Uh, after that, uh, we will all need a drink. Yes. Um, so who better to have a drink with than... Uh, Tino Pazuzzos, um, Panasuz, mm. Pana, Panatuzzos, um, and she's her professional beer taster. Um, and previously, yeah, um, was with Carlton. I think Carlton's been taken, of course, with Asahi. But mm-hmm. this is one of the best titles I've ever heard in my life. Mm. You ready for this? Yeah, she was the associate director of beer knowledge. At Carlton United Breweries, I just 
being on it. Just, Which would make all the big you buy tax deductible, surely. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. But um, um, she has been, um, well, what do we call her? I, I, I hope this doesn't sound sexist, mm. but it's just a, an obvious thing. She started off, mm. she's had a long career of beer judging and working within the industry. So mm-hmm. I would be correct in saying a woman in a man's beer world. That's and, a fair comment, isn't it? And hopefully less so in modern years, well, but yeah. certainly back in the day. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, you know, look at, um, you know, we see all, so many uh, amazing women brewers. Yes. So, anyway, we're going to talk to her about uh, the uh, Australian International Beer Awards, which is uh, coming on, which is run in um, association with the Royal Agricultural Society of Victoria. Oh, cool. Uh, there's 2,600 beers that are being submitted. 2,600. Yeah, and that's what she has to get through. She's that a is beer judge. Daunting. Because you go, oh, yeah, a beer judge. It sounds like a great job. <laughs> Until you, Until you, you look at the yeah. beer mountain that you have <laughs> yes, to ascend. Exactly. Yeah. And somehow you've makes, got to go up there. You've got to make sense of it, too. And you have to make sense of it and quantify it. Yeah, and also be in concord with your other judges. Yes. Because that's what I've found with food judging that you can't be suddenly on a limb going, you know. This, I reckon this one's better. This chili spaghetti is the best. <laughs> what are you talking about? This tastes like... No, it does not. So that's sort of basically the show. Um, we would like to, if we could, mm. um, a sad duty, but to uh, acknowledge yes. and wish the great helmsman of this radio station for and, and a couple our, of decades. Our, our, our spirit guide, yes. I suppose. And also, let's face it, when back in the day, someone we were terrified of. Um, <laughs> happy birthday um, to Stephen Walker. A.K.A. The Ghost. A.K.A. The Ghost. And also a big hug to Mrs. Ghost, to Linda. I uh, don't know if you're listening, Linda, but, um, yeah, happy birthday to The Ghost. And, uh, boy, still a big part in our hearts. Yep. And uh, I miss him, and um, he was my great radio mentor, and also, as I said, someone I was kind of terrified of too. Can I pivot on that point just yep. slightly? Because it's a, quite a neat segue. Uh, April Amnesty is on now. People. Oh yes, Triple uh, R April Amnesty. You've probably heard about this in previous years. This is a really important year, though, for April Amnesty because 2020 was a dumpster fire, yes. as you might recall. Yes, uh, with corresponding. Loss of sponsorships, which means less money coming into Triple R. So, uh, if you are not a subscriber and you would like to be a part of this station, um, there's a bunch of really good prizes on, uh, which you can win if you subscribe during the April Amnesty period. Can I actually add something to that? Yes, mm. we we as an organisation, as an association of like-minded individuals, yes, um, do reach out to you dear listeners that are around that we need your help more than ever because obviously revenues are down and stuff like that. Yes. However, we also appreciate mm. that there are so many people that are under stress themselves yes. with the money and uh, do not forget that there is a concession that you can... Yes. You can add to as well. So concession rates, I think, is uh, $40. Bucks for $40 for student unemployed and pensions. Yes. So, yeah, do that. I think we might see if we can get um, – we're going to try and ring Patrick. He was yeah. – um, uh, I mentioned his name before, didn't I? Uh, Patrick McIntosh. He's in Sydney. Uh, we're hoping that he's going to be available on the phone. It's, he was saying that he was at a three-year-old birthday party 
uh, to which I gave him the great <laughs> advice, which I heard from a friend of mine, do not step backwards. Um, so we're hoping we're going to get him. Should we have uh, a go? This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Let's head over the uh, the Great Murray River, around the Great Dividing Range, and uh, zero in down on Sussex Street. Uh, as, I, as I load that probably inappropriately, we bring to the microphones and, of course, the radio, Nick McIntosh, Assistant National Secretary, National Secretary of the TWU. You're not the New South Wales chapter. You've got overreach. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Cam. I mean, I can say that, that whilst I am on Sussex Street, my place of work, I, I am in our national office, so I, I proudly... Yes. Look over the whole country. Oh, fantastic! This great brown land. Um, That's it. How's the uh, how's the, that birthday party going? You didn't step on any <laughs> kids, did you? I didn't. I took your advice not yeah. to step backwards. Thanks. I, uh, I kept my eyes on the prize and made a uh, yeah four year old's <laughs> birthday party. Everyone's on a sugar high now. So, Are they? Um, yeah. Wait. See how they go. They'll probably crash very very soon. I well, suspect. What's actually? You'd probably have an experience. How long does it take for them to crash? Is it an hour or so, or what happens? I'd say that my say my two year old will, will in the next forty five minutes an hour will will, will go down. The, the four year old might be a bit more of a stayer. Yeah, um, but um, we'll, we'll see how he goes. We Who knows? we will see. Okay. Um, and speaking of paths that we go down, uh, there's a, an interesting association collaboration. You probably have a better word for this. Um, but the TWU has agreed to work with Menulog regarding a trial of an employment model within Sydney, it has to be said, not nationally, uh, that will reclassify riders and guarantee them minimum hourly payments and rights. This is a watershed moment within uh, the gig economy. Would you, would you agree? I certainly agree with you, Cam. I mean, it's, it's one of these things that up until this point in time, uh, the only way that, that we had any of these companies uh, classifying anybody as an employee was if a court told them to do so. And, and in the case of Tudora, about 18 months ago or two years ago when that happened, mm-hmm. instead of uh, instead of doing the right thing, they packed up shop and got out of the country without without repaying the workforce. So Yeah, uh, that's right, because I was saying, yeah, food who? Yeah, Foodora. Yeah, they, they, they that, ran away. They ran away when, when they yeah, were told right. that uh, their workers were employees instead of doing the right thing and... Uh, treating them the way they should have. They said it's all too hard and we'll, we'll get out of the country. So mm. this is watershed moment, as you say, because it's a company actually actually getting up and saying, you know what, we've got a moral obligation to do the right thing, albeit, albeit as you say, we're only talking about the Sydney CBD area. Nonetheless, let's have a go. Let's see if we can, um, let's see if we can create a model here uh, that we think can work within the, uh, the current confines of the law. So it is, it is a watershed moment, but mm. there's obviously a lot, a lot of work to do. Um, with my, if I can just get my cynical hat on, which um, is a strange-looking thing that I put on my head, um, moral obligation or um, maybe um, market advantage and uh, possible halo effect? Well, look, I mean, they've certainly got the first mover uh, advantage here. Yes. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of, as you well know, I know you follow this closely, there's been a lot of pressure on the gig economy really in the last six to 12 months. There was that spate of 
deaths at the end of last year in, in Sydney and in, uh, in, in Melbourne, uh, tragically, that really yes. uh, brought this to the public's attention. So, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of pressure that, 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 that has been applied in this industry, but, you know, credit where credit's due. Yes. Someone's got to make the first move, and, and Menulog's done it in this instance. So... Um did they um, approach you about this? That say this is here's an initiative that we are thinking of doing. Um, we want to be. I'm trying to get the right word associated with you or work uh, in in conference with you. Um, how how were you approached and how did this alliance take place? Yeah, look, we 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 have conversations with all of these companies. I mean, as you can imagine, some of them are more productive than others. But we, at the TW, we've always taken an approach that it's better to to, to leave the door open for people to, to come and uh, talk mm. to us. So, yeah, um, we you know we, we talk to all these companies. We're at various different um, levels with them all. But I mean, it's 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 one of those things where um, you know, I guess, I guess this company has decided. Let's work with the union. Let's 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 try and treat our drivers the right way. Uh, let's see how all of this how all of this goes. So, uh, credit to them. But as I said, it's it's unless um, to be honest with you, Cam, unless there is some systemic reform, there's some regulation in this area, mm-hmm. uh, then it's hard. It is hard to see how uh, others are necessarily going to follow suit. And this is the thing that. Um this initiative, um, it, very, very limited that it is, but also, uh, also the, um, it's, it's a very, very great start. What sort of legislation needs to be brought through by government, the lawmakers? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I mean... Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for I that. think that... Yeah, oh, there you go, complimenting the host. Look, <laughs> I think that... Um, I, I, I think that there's one thing we, we have to realise at the moment in this country that we've got we've got a set of workplace laws that, by and large, says you're either an employee, and if you're an employee, you get all the rights and entitlements that that, that we, under, we we understand, which are minimum wages and conditions and yep. annual leave and sick leave and all the rest of it. And if you're not, you get nothing. Now, that 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 might have made sense once upon a time where we've had independent contractors who were truly small business people earning, you know, significant amounts of money. You, you might have a, a plumber earning hundreds of thousands of dollars a year run, successfully running their own business that, that is not in need of any of these minimum rates entitlements. But what's happened is that a lot of these companies, particularly these gig companies, who essentially seek to bypass any sort of employer relationship just to try and say, no, no, just get on the app and off you go, uh, they've, they've, used, they've taken these laws and they've used it to their advantage because... Uh, it's meant that they can try and say, and to be honest, the jury's still out on whether this is right or not, but they are at mm. least at the moment trying to say all of these people are independent contractors. And even mm. though there is a clear, you know, clearly there is a lot of dependency uh, for these workers on these apps, um, we'll classify as independent contractors. And we know from the surveys we've done of these riders, they're getting paid half the minimum wage. We've got no... Despite working through the pandemic and being the heroes of the pandemic, they've got no sick leave entitlements themselves. They've got no right to superannuation. Tragically, when they're killed, they've had no right to workers' compensation, which has left their families um, destitute. So, you know, it's one of these things where what we're saying is the law has not kept up. The last real employment test was in 1984, in a time before, you know... 1984? Sorry. There's a case called Babu, about, yes. actually about bike couriers, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, and, but, but, of course, when, this case, when that case happened, uh, 
mobile phones, internet, apps, that was all a something that you would have seen in Back to the Future and, and not really believed. Yeah. Uh, but we haven't we haven't we haven't kept up with it. So what what the ZW is saying is that what we really need to do is have a standing tribunal that can inquire into all forms of work, including this form of work, and to say how people being treated and what's their level of dependency. In this instance, we know that gig, uh, these gig food delivery riders are very dependent on the apps. We know that they're getting mm-hmm. paid half the minimum wage, no entitlements. There should be a body that can set enforceable minimum standards. It doesn't matter what, I don't care if you call them an employee or what you call them, but have some form of minimum um, standard. And if you're the plumber on $300,000 a year successfully running your own business, well, you're probably never going to need to go to this tribunal for any assistance. But we shouldn't limit ourselves because the mistake I think that lawmakers sometimes make who are trying to do the right thing is to say, oh, let's just expand the definition of employee. And the minute you put something, Cam, in black and white, it encourages these companies to say, you, Butte, we now know how to get around this. The we'll lawyers can jump lawyers. in. Yep. Exactly. It's a lawyer's picnic. Come yep. in. You know, put rewrite contracts. Do this. Do that. Oh, good. We've gotten to the. We've managed to get to the other side of the employment test. So, mm. I think we need a standing tribunal. The time has come that it can inquire into this work, make enforceable standards where they're needed, and where they're not needed. Then there's no. Then don't worry about it. But that that's the way to deal with this problem because then you can't have uh, lawyers and and uh, and you know others trying to avoid uh, evade. I should say all of these um, all of these uh, employment entitlements or obfuscate. Hey, um, in um, in thirty seconds because uh, we're just running out of a little bit of time, Nick. Uh, when will this initiative um, take place? And uh, yeah, when does when does this start? Yeah, look, we're, we're in discussions at the moment, Cam. I mean, I, I think that um, hopefully in the second half of this year we'll really be second able to half. have some. Okay. Yeah, we'll really be able to have uh, some some good discussions. I mean, it requires potentially some a different award. If, if there's a different award, you have to go through certain processes to the Fair Work Commission. But we'll we'll look at all these things. We'll we'll, we'll hear what many log have to say. We'll, we'll constructively um, work with them to see if we can engage. Uh, see if we can make them. this work. Yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. man. Well, look, I think we might uh, need to check uh, in with you. Uh, it's maybe the end of winter. Uh, to see how it's all going. But listen, it's been lovely for you to take the time to chat with us. Thanks so much. Thanks, Cam. Look look forward to chatting with you in the not-too-distant future. Hope the kids come down isn't too hard on you. (laughs) You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. There's no sunshine, John. No sunshine. It's definitely tempered, the weather. Ain't all sunshine in the market. No, John, a very, very, well, it's good morning at the moment, but once we get to air, of course, it's good afternoon. So I don't know what we say. Do we say good afternoon? Uh, We can say good afternoon, but it's a pleasant day. It's not hot. It's not hot. It's not windy. It's beautiful. And your arms are naked. Yes, there's um, (laughs) a tranquility around the market. There's a few people, a little bit of a buzz. Yes. Um... A lot of the regulars have already zipped in, zipped out, so oh. now we get a little bit of a lull and then uh, a few of the late birds will come in at about midday and we'll run with it. The late breakfast sort of people come definitely, to get their things. Definitely, yeah. And then, of course, the seagulls come down. That's right. Well, I was just talking to my mum's goddaughter. They've done a godson, should I say, yeah. and uh, wife. They've just done the same. They've come out. Mm. They're going to grab a bit of breakfast, a uh, lovely coffee, and then they're going to get serious and they're going to do some shopping and then go home and cook up a storm. Can't wait. 
Can't wait to hear about that. Hey, look, you know, the, the, the signs are all around us. Nature has said, mm, it's time to shut down, and we close off one set of, uh, set of things from spring and summer that we had, and then we move now into autumn and winter. We, we are there now. I think so. I have a question for you. I was going to ask you f- to tell me about your your Julie Andrews things, which is, uh, you know, Sound of Music. These are a few of my favourite things. We are changing in, in our temperature. What do you look forward to cooking and sitting at the table and eating and what will be sort of the first things that you grab onto to, to move into these new seasons? Um, even though we've had asparagus right through, I'm really looking forward to the in-season crops of asparagus mm. where the, the buds are nice and tight, a beautiful purple colour. Mm. Um, I'm looking forward to having some of them steamed uh, just with a little bit of olive oil rather than cooking up these ones. Even though they're lovely, the, the buds are open, um, the stems are a little bit coarse. Oh, you've got a bunch here. Yeah, I brought it um, You see, some of them have got sand burn marks on them because they came out of North Victoria. And they're a little bit ridged. A little bit ridged, a little bit bent over because of the wind. Mm. So, you know, um, we, we've chopped these up and made an omelette with it and, and, and they've come up a treat. Mm. Um, and also the radicchio, even though we have radicchio all year round, you've bought a beautiful big head here. Mm. That's probably about a half a kilo radicchio. Um, I opened up the outer leaves. It looks like an open rose. Um, do you remember we used to do that to red radishes? Cut I mean, the top off? We used to do it to tomatoes. Yeah. And we and used to... And, OK, if we want to go really back... <laughs> this is this is BC stuff. The Van Dyked Orange. That was the orange where you, you cut it in half, you do the zigzag sort of cut, so you pull yep. it out and there'd be the two... Yes, yes. That was and, high cuisine for a while. And, and do you remember we used to stick the... Um, pickled uh, onions, all the different colours and cheese on a toothpick and then into the orange that was cut like that. Yeah, traffic lights. Yeah, traffic lights. It really brightened up the table. Um, (laughs) It was a little bit of fun making it and um, like I said... Next to the cabana. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, My kids are horrified when when I do that on a rare occasion. (laughs) (laughs) Just do it to do it. Okay, so we've got asparagus is is something that you look forward to, Um, but what about... um, Pasta for Jolly? No, it's too... Yes. No, yeah, no, yeah, now, yeah, no, no, no. The, the beans are just starting. Yeah, these they are the, You need bolotti beans. Bolotti beans. And uh, now, when you see them, um, they're the same length of as, a, as a normal bean, a lot fatter. They've got a beautiful uh, white and uh, ready magenta colour. And when you open up the beans, they're stripy as well. Mm. Now, you can buy them dried. You can buy them in a the can. But once you've had them fresh, you, you always look for the fresh ones. Yeah. Um, because we boil them up with celery and a little bit of carrot and parsley, and then we mix them with a the pasta. If you get lucky, um, mum makes a handmade pasta, make the long tagliatelle yeah. and mix it together, and it's to die for with a little bit of red sauce in it. Yes. We make it a little bit soupy as well, if you like, or you so, can make it dry up. So we want the bread to be able to, and the yeah. bread's mixing with the cheese. Yeah, and... yeah. You know, the doctor says you shouldn't eat pasta and bread together, but Everyone does. That's what it's all well, about. Well, especially when it's soupy. You yeah, know, yeah. You, you've got um, to do that. Yeah, so the, the bolotis will be coming. I had a lot of people asking me about them yesterday. Mm. So even just stewed up on their own, they're a lovely bean. Mm. So we're looking forward to that, as you said. Yeah, look, um, look that up, folks. It's a, it's, a, it's a good one to add to the repertoire if you haven't had it before for Jolly. Yeah, pasta and beans, you can Google mm. as well. Yep. And also, I'm looking forward to a pumpkin soup. Um, I rather like pumpkin soup. 
um, very easy to make because of we use butternuts and we've got a stripy butternut which is a half Japanese, half butternut and this is another one of the success stories of crossing vegetables. Um, when you cut it open it's a bright orange colour, very sweet. Um, this pumpkin you can even chop it up finely and marinate it in olive oil and vinegar. Um, parsley, garlic, and eat it raw. <gasps> it, I knew you were going there. I'm going, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. It's really? strange. Yeah. But we had a Neapolitan family living next door to mum, yeah. and um, she served it up one day, a homegrown pumpkin. <laughs> and my dad and I are saying, is this lady serious? <laughs> but, you know, when we ate it with yeah. our main meal, it was quite pleasant. This is okay. Quite so pleasant. what was just olive oil? Uh, Salt, pepper? Uh, salt, pepper, yeah, homemade right. vinegar, yeah, oh, a little bit of parsley, up. garlic oh, yeah. for the colour. And the garlic would have been nice. That would yeah, bounce around yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, fresh garlic have, out of the garden as well. You'd have to slice it pretty thin, though. Yeah, definitely. You? Like but you don't it, want to have like a big chunk. Of yeah, this is fresh out of the ground. Oh, Something's okay. been sitting around six okay. months. So this is so the same as quite nice. this is the same as getting a corn cob from the plant and into the oh, boiling water. Definitely, yeah, definitely. And also it's easier to make soup because you don't have to put orange juice like some chefs do to bring up the colour. Um, all we do is we boil the potato and onion together. Mm. Uh, when it's softened up a little bit, you chuck your pumpkin in mm. and then mash it all up. Mm. Then if you really want to be naughty, you can put your cream, sour cream, or, or even milk and just warm it up a little. Milk's better because it's not so rich. Warm it up a little bit more and, and away you go. Do you, do you want me to go? Yeah, um, come I'm on. Gonna, I'm going yeah, to go one more step. Do you know how I make butternut pumpkin soup. Tell me. I cut up the butternut and I put it in a pot and I just cover it with the water. That's it. Yeah, why not? It's I valid. Keep, I keep saying simple's yeah. the best. Yeah. Sometimes you put all this stuff in it and you lose the original flavour and texture. Yes. So, you know, you're not really getting what you um, intended to have in the first place. Mm. Yeah, it looks good, it tastes good, yeah. but... You know, you've lost your butternut flavour and sugar and everything else. And, you know, we've I've done this to you, I don't know for how many years, but I've said this to you, gonna, I'm going to remind you, one of my great, um, what do we call it, a pumpkin soup hack, is pumpkin soup, as I said, doing it before, and then you put a little dollop of crab meat in the middle. Oh, yes. Yeah, and, that's, um, and then you can juice that up, you know, mixed with, you can do a little bit of spring onion and... You know, bring up those maybe coriander, cream, Beautiful. pepper, a little bit of chilli oh, on the top. It is a hard and, life. And what you do is, it's so fun to eat because it's in the middle, and then you just drag a little bit of the crab and then mix it, and that's good. Yeah, beautiful. That's good, depending on the, the quality of the crab that you have, obviously. Yeah, well, we're lucky, you know, we get the um, white coral crabs and the blue swimmer crabs and mm. mud crabs, and, you know, you can pick and choose and... You know, cook them up and do it yourself rather than get it out of a can, which yeah. I don't know if you can get crab meat in a can anymore. Oh, yeah, you can, but you've got to sort of look at the label and see where it's from and have a think about maybe how it was done. <laughs> when I, when <laughs> I was younger, I um, they used to send it from South Africa and it was in a cream cheese. It was to die for. What was it, crab and cream cheese? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, in a can. In a can? In a can. Wow, crab spread. Yeah, it was lovely. Not and, Philadelphia crabs. Yeah, it was good good cream cheese. Never seen that. Um, but for some reason they stopped doing it. Oh, yeah. Maybe okay. they made a lot of money and gave up. Maybe, yeah, maybe they just uh, opened a Mercedes dealership or something <laughs> like that. Who knows? Um, I've brought, what a more showing, and I'll be pretty well going through it. Talking about a garlic, while we were talking about putting it in a food. Yes. Um, 
This is the last of our Victorian garlic. Slightly and, um, red uh, tinge to yeah, it. Yeah, and it's shooting. Yes. So, um, you know, I say to people, you can still eat the shoot. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have been asking for it to plant, so um, they go home and, you know, put a bit here, a bit there. looks good, and in the end, if you're lucky, you've got some fresh garlic that you've grown yourself. What sort of soil does garlic like if you're going to plunge it into the ground? I imagine it wouldn't be good in tight clay, for instance. Probably not, but we, we used to get our best garlic from Sky down on the peninsula, yeah. and it was uh, a, a mixed sandy loam and um, a little bit heavier soil, so he blended yeah. it up. Yeah. Uh, but the only problem is down there you get a virus because of the cold air, um, and it was very um, easy to lose, yes, yeah, susceptible right. to the disease and that. But um, most of our better garlic now, we can get it from Queensland, Tasmania, um, Robin Vale, Swan Hill areas, probably the better areas. Yeah. Um, some sandy soil, some heavier soil, uh, and it's good garlic, and it's not hot like a lot of the imported garlics. Yeah. You know, at the moment there's um, good-looking garlic around, but it's Argentinian, Egyptian, mm. Mexican. So we'll see what we move on to. Garlic really does come from everywhere, doesn't it? It does. So I think yeah. um, you know everyone eats garlic now, and everyone's ramped up production. Um, to some people's horror, last year I had um, fresh garlic came out of China, come by air freight. Yeah. Um, the agents assured me that the farmers were responsible farmers. And um, I bought it, and it was like our young garlic from oh, here. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. so, you know, there are good growers everywhere. Okay. Oh, that's a, that's a nice thing to know. Um, I've also pulled out um, what would have to be... Look at these stems. Yeah, the, yeah. The, this is... It's this rather is tragic. I've got some grapes here in my hand. Uh, purple grapes. Um, it's a crimson seedless. It's a crimson seedless. Oh, there we go. This one that's just dropped off. I'm going to eat that one. How much longer before these will be gone? Um... We're still getting this straight out of the field. Hmm? How are you guys? They were doing yeah, yeah. More deals, mate. We're telling everyone about the deals. Hey, want to buy some warm grapes? <laughs> um, these ones hadn't been put into fridge, so the stem has gone brown. But a lot of them have been put into uh, the refrigerator. Uh, we may have them for another month. Who knows? Um, this is one of the best modern grapes there is because it's not full of chemicals. It's not pushed. It grows in its own time. It's not pumped up with a growth hormone to make it bigger. It's not all tannic like a muscatel? That's right. Um, and uh, I've still got a few muscatels left as well. They've been put away, but still good enough to eat. So um, we're blessed in that area. Um, there's other grapes around the market. Robbie's got a really big green one like the Globe, but it's not a Globe. Yes. And it's exceptionally tasty. Yep. But they're selling $13, $14 a kilo. Okay. These ones we're selling for 5 bucks, mm. And, you know, everyone loves them from children to old people because no seed, they're crunchy, they're very sweet, they've got the colour. Doesn't freak anybody yeah. out. Uh, yeah. And they're yeah. nice to throw in a salad as well. Oh, yeah, that sounds really, really good. You ever had the Fragolas? Yeah. And They're sort of weird strawberry musk. See, of. my mum's been telling me about uva fragola since I was a little boy. Yes. And I say, Mum, we don't have it here, but I have seen it on a couple of occasions. Mm. And, and it is, it's weird because you look at it, it's got this pinkish tinge. Yep. Um, some can be big, some can be small. And then you eat it, and then, oh, strawberry. Musk. You know, 
Strawberry. Musk, yeah, you yeah. know, you, you get that flavour. And, and then, you know, I remember why Mum was so happy to have fond memories of it because it was a memorable grape, mm. which is something that a lot of the modern grapes aren't. After half an hour, you've forgotten you've eaten them, whereas you're eating a muscatel or uva fragola or even uva italia, which is um, a modern version of the white muscatel, you can savour the flavour and remember it later. And so I really, really enjoyed that. And that's yeah. the beauty of my job. Yeah, well, this is the great thing about all these different varieties. And this is one of the great things. I'm going to do a little thing about the market and why it's good. One of the great things is just the variety. You don't have all these just set lines of things. There'll always be something that that gets you excited that you see at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. You want to talk about something we don't often yep. talk about. Yeah. Now, can you describe this capsicum for me? Well, it's it's a it's a it's a small red capsicum. It's about it's a bigger than an egg, but not like a big normal size capsicum. It looks like it's been off the vine for a bit. The stem's still pretty moist. But what's happened was it looks like it's sort of just shrunk into its coat a little bit, and it's got a little bit of a a wrinkly. Um, sort of thing, but it feels really, really soft. And my guess is this is going to be sweet as. Have I? Okay. Have I? Well, exactly. Tell me. Tell me where I'm at. Okay. Now, would you buy this? Yep. A lot of people won't because it looks so horrible and wrinkled. But mm. if you're going to grill or roast the capsicum, yep. this is the ideal thing to use. If you use a fresh capsicum, it burns. Yep. They sparkle. Yes. And all you do is you get a burnt skin and mushy yep. texture inside. Whereas this, if you if you grill this, you're going to get a beautiful flavour. The aromas come out, the texture's right, it doesn't burn, and, and you make a beautiful um, capsicum salad with it. And on a crusty bread with a little bit of good olive oil, parsley and garlic, that's all you need. Not even salt sometimes. Jeez, uh, my, my eyebrows just nearly hit the corrugated iron when you... That with crusty bread and olive oil, you know, maybe a little bit of the macaron. You don't need. Sorry, I've just said exactly what you said. You don't need. Any, I've just gone through exactly the same thought process as you. Have. Yes, we yes. agree. God, we're agreeing. Yes, yes, that's right. And even to stuff it and bake it, uh, it's better as well because yeah. you know it's there. You know what can yeah. I say? Uh, so, you know, that's why I keep saying to my son, don't throw them in a box and throw them under the stand. Put them at the back of the display. Mm. A lot of women know how to cook properly better than you think. They know. Hey, they know. Guess what? We've just been raving on for 15 minutes. God well, maybe. Matt's going to be pulling his <laughs> hair out. Um, we need to do the pick of the market. And um, unfortunately, I'm going to have to move on. Pick of yeah. the market, John. Pick of the market. Uh, we had hand-picked beans. They've run away. I've sold out of those. They were $10 a kilo. You can buy machine-picked three fifty, but remember what I say. Mm. Buy them today, eat them today. Yep. Our Doncaster tomato is still going strong. He'll go to the end of June. Yep. Um, we had beautiful radicchio. We've been enjoying that in our salad every day, mm. and it's very good. It's a blood purifier. You get that little bit of bitter. It's good for the stomach as well. Goes great with orange. Oh, definitely. I had someone buy three heads yesterday because they're entertaining today. 50 people. Woo. Orange and uh, radicchio salad. And parsley. And parsley. Yep. It's all out there. There's so much vegetable, so much fruit. Mm. Like we always say, come through, look around, decide what you fancy. Even things like leeks. You know, I took some leeks home and we fried them up. 
serve them beside a steak, that's gorgeous. What else can I say? Uh, One last thing I'm going to say, and then I'm going to go, passion fruit. This is the time to get passion fruit. Uh, five for two bucks over there. And pomegranates yeah. that come down to nothing, so get in there if you like them. All right, God, we're over time. I'm so sorry, Matt. <laughs> Have a good one, guys. <laughs> Don't hate me. Uh, you knew the friend was coming your way. Yeah, yeah. That was a very in-depth market report from John at the Queen Vic Market. You can find him at Tomato City in shed number... Uh, H, or H. you could have said meandering. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. A beer judge with an enormous amount of experience that has witnessed an incredible change in the market from a male-dominated monoculture to the excitement of all the different and diverse tastes and sensations that we have. We have one person that is here that makes sense of all this madness. Uh, Tina Pansutsos, a very, very good afternoon. First of all, did I get your last name correct? (laughs) Hey, Cam, how are you? Thanks for um, a great intro. And yeah, unfortunately, it's a bit of a mouthful, but it's uh, pronounced Panutsos. Panutsos, well, you're Matt. Matt's just done uh, high-fiving himself because... (laughs) He's uh, he's better at this than I am. Thank you for taking the time. Of course, um, you are part of an incredible, um, my God, I'm almost um, Herculean um, uh, effort that has to be happening from the Australian International Beer Awards when too many beers are barely enough. And uh, not only do you have to make sense of them, but you have to grade them. And you also have to be in concord with your other judges. My God, what a job. Uh, I wouldn't have been in the, in the industry for over three decades if I didn't think it was worth it. So it is definitely a big undertaking and a great yeah. um, achievement for everyone that's involved. I think I'm one of 15 judges this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, actually no, not 15 judges, more than that, um, but we're just generally all in uh, a big group of um, well-equipped and well-experienced people within the industry that can really deliver and then assess beers for their merit, and it's a great job. It is huge. There are over 2,500, 2,600 beers this year entered into the Beer Australian International Beer Awards, so we've definitely got a challenge ahead of us, but it's exciting. Is it? Does it sort of get exhausting? Like, I can sort of think, here's an analogy that I can give that maybe people can relate to, that if you go to an art gallery and you look at paintings, and and I've noticed that the first few paintings you look at, you go, well, okay, and you get the, you know, historical context and you, the medium and the way that it's sort of, you know, doing, and you, and you really take it apart and you assess it, but then, I don't know, maybe after an hour you go past it and you go... It's a landscape, it's blue. Does that sort of happen with the beer? Obviously, because you're judging, you can't let those things slip. But at the end of the day, do you sort of, you really know that you've been judging hundreds of beers? You do, and generally there's a cap on the number of beers that we judge per day. So depending on how many entries have been entered, we'll mm. allocate the number of judges, the number of beers per table and or throughout the course of the day, but also the styles of beers. So you're absolutely right. The detail is in the, in the flight of beers that you're tasting and judging, mm. then a lot of times we've got to take that into consideration and base the, the flight or the 
the frequency at which the beers are coming out to be able to give judges a bit of a, a palate rest so or a sensory rest. And we do really structure the competition or the RSV does an amazing job of structuring the competition so that we do every beer that we judge is judged at the same um, level. So whatever we're judging at the beginning of the day or beginning of that art gallery tour mm. is the same way that we're going to judge the last beer of the, the day. Because you want to make sure brewers are entering their beers yes. um, as a reflection of their, their technique, their pride and the you know the everything that they put into their brewery. <laughs> and you want to make sure that the judging panel judges it accordingly and gives everyone the same attention and detail. Yeah, to, to uh, paraphrase it, all gets assessed on a level playing field. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, when, um, so it's, it's all really starting to gather momentum now. You judge uh, first week of May, I think, is it? Yeah, we start judging on the 11th of May. Yes, um, Go through for four days. Yeah, go through for four days. So all the uh, brewers' entries have already been accepted and entries have closed off. So um, about a month earlier, end of February, is when the cut-off for... Um, or it starts and uh, cut off for judging... Oh, sorry, entering your, your beers. And then the process of collecting your beers, so brewers will go through and generally assess their beers, you know, make sure that what they're sending through they're happy with and... So the expectation from judges is that they will get a really great um, ju- a beer to judge at that table because you're you're putting a, a beer up um, to reflect the style, the character, the brand, and the brewery as well. Mm. So where the RASV will slowly start getting um, the entries coming into the the showgrounds in the next week or so, and then they get allocated. Um, to tables and sorted out based on styles, and then um, each table will get a nominated amount of beers throughout the course of the day. And generally, we're judging this year. We've sort of averaged it out to be about sixty odd beers a day. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, so it's not too bad. And I think it's the the difference is I know that wine competitions tend to have a lot more, but with beer judging, we actually have to swallow the beer. So there's a lot of responsibility involved in that, but also the different attributes of beer that uh, are fully assessed once you swallow the beer. So we're not spitting anything out. So we can't go through, you know, a flight or a day of 200 samples because I think we'd be under the table by then. You'd be talking a little bit left-handed, assuming that you're not <laughs> left-handed. Um, um, uh, in Just to give us an idea of your world of beer, first of all, you started off in a – would have to be, and I've, I've, I've got to say this – it, it was a, a beer was very much a man's world, wasn't it? And I was just wondering, first of all, what was your motivation and how did you fit in in those early days? <laughs> uh, sheer determination and resilience, I think. Oh, you'll, um, you'll never die just... wondering, right, Tina? <laughs> no. no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, I started off in, in the lab back in the late 80s, and uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I was one of very few females in the lab. And this was um, at Carlton? Yeah, Carlton United. I'm still with Carlton United Breweries, and um, they we had definitely the workforce within, especially the supply operation side, was very skewed towards the male. Yeah, um, lots of barriers. <laughs> yeah, and look, and there were. There's, I'm lucky enough to have lasted as long and continue to sort of work in the industry that I absolutely love. Um, and it has had its hurdles and everything, but you overcome mm. it, and it's great to see that there's 
such a, a, a great influence of females and contributing to all aspects of yeah. beer and brewing. Yeah. Um, so it's really great and engaging to see that. And it's, it definitely has changed. I think I was one of the token females to sort of balance out that gender uh, perception in mm. the early days when I started judging. But you know what? If it got me at the table, I didn't care how it got there, how I got there. I just, if it was to balance the gender, I was there and it's been a great ride since. I'm at the table. And so congratulations on, on first of all, your chutzpah uh, in getting into that and also, you know, obviously the epiphany that you had. But I was just wondering if you might want to comment on the on the whole beer market that in those early days uh, it was it was there was this real beer monoculture there was only a few styles of beer that were really really around you know every now and then sort of people might have drunk a stout but it was normally a, a parochial statement as to what tribe you belong to but then it seemed to me that there were two stages which broadened our whole perception of beer one was in the late 80s, early 90s, where this whole proliferation of imported beers started hitting our shores, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, and you're right. The, the journey or the, um, the landscape of beer has really changed in Australia and across the world too, and, and if we just focus on what we've seen um, from an Australian perspective, there are definitely different styles and categories that have continued to grow. Mm. And you're right about the international influence of um, beers coming into Australia and sort of broadening the, the prospect because yeah. there were fewer um, beers being entered into competitions like this. And, and we're lucky to have something like the Australian International Beer Awards because it is the largest um, annual brewing competition and we get to see what's on trend and we get to see how the beer market's being shaped. And in, you're right about the international, but the second influence was the craft revolution that you know, mm. kicked off in the US and has just sort of taken over, which is really great to see because it explores the, the wide depth and, and uh, range of beers that are available that we're really starting to see the consumers and, and the average punter starting to broaden out. And if we think about you know, what, what, what we see actually in the last few years, the growth of um, so. some of the key categories have been IPAs, and oh, IPAs, IPAs are quite, yeah. Yeah, quite bold, um, hoppy, aromatic, flavoursome, mm. and really different to mm. some of the um, classic styles that you may have seen in the 80s, which are still around and still definitely have a huge market. Um, the next you know, big interest that we've seen for the first time this year, we've um, introduced a zero elk. So we've always had a uh, reduced alcohol category and we've seen that growing and also seen the, the um, introduction of zero elk. And if you asked me five years ago if I ever thought that I'd, I'd see zero alcohol being a, a popular category, I would have looked at you twice. And would have laughed in your not. face. <laughs> and, and what about this? I mean, and this is the incredible thing about beer is that, you know, from three ingredients, you just can get such a kaleidoscope of flavours. The rise of sour beer. Mm. The ghosts. Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah, I think the rise of sour beers um, really reinforces that our drinking culture has changed as well. Um, the occasions that we drink, um, food, uh, you know, situations, every, people are starting to drink very differently. And when they, we introduce and see the introduction of different styles of beers coming into the market, 
your people's perception of why or how or when they drink beer is really starting to change. And I think that's one of the most encouraging things I've seen over the last three decades mm. is the flexibility and the, and the choice that people have at their disposal. Oh, because sours you might not have, you know, schooners or, you know, huge volumes, but it is one of the best beers to have as a, a you know, at the beginning as a palate cleanser or between courses or even just sitting back at, with a platter of cheese and in an afternoon on the back patio, it is a sensational style of beer to have without sort of um, being overwhelmed with flavour. And I'm a bit of a bitter and sour nut anyway, so I know that appeals to me. And that is one of the the great things is that we have understood that uh, beer and food is such an amazing match. Um, We look forward to seeing the results, of course, uh, from the Australian International Beer Awards. More strength to you, Tina, um, and all your assessments that you make. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to seeing the, um, the results. And they'll be announced um, on the 20th of May oh, maybe. Um, at the presentation dinner. So, or yeah, maybe come it'll back. be really exciting. Yeah, come, come back, Tina, and maybe we can have a chat about uh, what you saw in some of your favourite children that you, you brought out into the sunshine. <laughs> although, very happy to, Kim. Very happy to. Thank yeah, you. Although we don't want to do that because beer does get light struck and we don't want that. Tina, you Not rock. Too much sunshine. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for the time, Cam. Oh, pleasure. Look forward to speaking to you again. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website.